0: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
3: Welcome to episode 218 of the DFO Rundown brought to you by Batano. 19 plus, please play responsibly. The game starts now at batano.ca. I'm Jason Greger. So welcome in uh, Frank Saravalli. And uh, Canada is out again in the uh, NHL playoffs I think uh, a very disappointing series loss for the uh, Edmonton Oilers uh, probably summed up very well in a, in a rather emotional uh, post-game press conference from uh, Leon Drysaitel, who is very very different than uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, when his Bucks lost, uh, saying, "Hey, nothing's a failure." And Drysaitel was like, "Hey, it kind of feels like a failure." Now, it feels like a failure and saying it's a failure are two different things, but um, you know that this was this is what makes the playoffs great is. You know, last year the Orders lost because they just didn't have a lot of depth scoring. And uh, and this year, their depth scorers scored fine. They scored at almost the same pace as they did in the regular season. They gave off too many goals, which is kind of a consistent thing. And in, in the last few games, some of their top guys, Dry Settle and Nugent Hopkins, and Kane. Now Dry was unreal early on, but you know, by his standards, last night just wasn't a very good game. And, you know, the Orders I think will will have a long off season wondering, you know, what to do and how to improve for next year.
4: Yeah, and my guess is, at least from a player personnel perspective, I don't expect a whole ton to change. Like, I don't expect seismic roster moves to really reshape this team. However, I will say from a management and hierarchy perspective, I do think change is on the horizon in Edmonton. Um, I I think when you consider the situation – Um, And and really, frankly, um, what's looming out there in some other searches, um, I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to be very proactive and protective of Steve Steyos. He's someone in their organization that they value. They have a thin staff as it is. And the Edmonton Oilers, I think, see Steve Steyos as their next general manager. I think um, how quickly that happens will depend on a few things. Um, the, the Ottawa Senators and their sale process, like if, um, if they're in a spot where Michael Anlauer is the winning bidder, formerly the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, who he found much success with, Steve Steyos, there's going to be a real pull to bring Steve Steyos with him as next general manager of the Ottawa Senators. Um, I think the Oilers want to get out in front of that and try and make sure that that doesn't happen. And I wouldn't be shocked, um, not reporting this, just this is what the speculation has been behind the scenes, is that there's a possibility that Ken Holland is promoted to president of hockey operations and Steve Steos is promoted to general manager and the Oilers are able to keep, you know, most of their hierarchy intact uh, and, and give Steve Steyos a bigger voice.
3: Yeah, I've talked to Steve and obviously he's been around lots and, you know, I've heard that rummy when, when I, when I mentioned it to him, obviously he's didn't uh, say much, but it, uh, you know, that I, I see connecting the dots and, uh, and it would make sense. Um, there is, you know, I do look at the orders and I, I think they have some areas that they need to address, uh, you know, regardless of who the GM is, um, the, the, the right-wing slot has to improve. I don't, I don't think there's much question there. Um, Man, you know, it
4: hurts seeing yessipoli advance to the third round and the Oilers don't, speaking of right-wings.
3: Well, he's being a healthy scratch. I'm um, yeah, I say it uh, tongue-in-cheek, but yeah, yes. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't think that yesa arvey was the answer to the Oilers' right-wing no. woes. Um, what's interesting, though, is that they still have a right-winger who, who underperforms making $3 million, right? Different type of player. Um, you know, so I think if, if they could, they would they would like to find a way to 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 change and upgrade that spot with Yamamoto. I think even some of their their depth right wing scoring potentially. And um, you know, on defense, they've got a few decisions to make. Um, Do they feel Philip Broberg's ready to be a regular next year? And if he is, where does he slot in the spot? Because Brett Kulak's played great. You know, he's not taking out Nurse or Ekholm. So where does Broberg fit in? Does he fit in? And Will they possibly look at at another addition on on the right defense? See, Cody Ceci didn't have a great year this year. I know he was banged up. He was quite good the year before. And I think the challenge for any GM after a a, a playoff loss that's disappointing is do you focus just on that or do you have to take a step back and look at the broader picture? And, you know, you have some guys from one year to the next, like Evander Kane wasn't close to as productive this year in the playoffs as he was last year. Right. Does that mean that suddenly he's terrible? No, it means he, he didn't have the playoffs that he wanted. He probably had a more realistic playoffs, I would think. But that, that's going to be the challenge for Edmonton. And, of course, Frank, the big one is, is the salary cap going up a million dollars or is it going up $3 million?
4: I think the bigger question in all those things is what does the next contract look like for Evan Bouchard? I know they're going to try and bridge him but is he, does he want that? Is he willing to play ball? Does he want a longer term deal? And if he wants a longer term deal, what does the number look like? Like I, if you look at how important he was to the Oilers once the Tyson Barry trade went down and how much he stepped up his game. I mean, even watch game six, the last closing, you know, final five minutes of their season was Bouchard on the ice for four minutes of it. Like they're obviously big believers in, in his game, not going to be cheap, and i just i I know I, again, I know what their plan is their want to bridge him. I just don't know if that's if it's feasible and and if it makes sense
3: yeah because the only advantage, all
4: you're doing is kicking the can down the road anyway
3: true the The only advantage they have is he has no arbitration rights right he's It's kind of a weird situation because he he had the slide rule and now he doesn't have an arbitration right, so um, you know, so I guess guy, he has to. In some yeah, ways, like, he has. When to When guys don't have arb rights, it just you know it still leaves the team. And 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 I've said it: hockey's a business. And the rare time, this will be the last time that the the team ever has the advantage in negotiations. It's just how it is when you have arbitration rights. What happens is a player files for arbitration, so it kind of puts you in a spot where you're like, well, geez, I don't want to risk the arbitrator. You know, paying him. Now, two and a half million when we only want to pay him one point seven five. So yeah. sometimes they agree to deals. Now, obviously, Bouchard's different than that. um you know he his Arbright uh, ruling would would be well above uh, three and a half for sure. so I'm you know the, the other thing is for the orders is I get that you could uh, if you bridge Bouchard, the risk is in a few years. he needs a contract. Leon Dry settle needs a contract. and um but if you're the if you're the GM group now, your goal, I think, is the next two years, right? Uh, like you saw Leon settle how disappointed he was. I think he's disappointed himself, not so much the supporting cast. Uh, he holds himself to a very high standard, and so he, he wasn't like he pulling
4: didn't... a Joel Embiid, is what you're saying?
3: No, no, essentially no, no, just
4: no. shitting all over everyone else. No,
3: no, no. He actually said he needed <laughs> to be better, so it was yes, it was quite different uh, from that. So um, you know, people get emotional after losses, fans. I'm sure even some management. The last thing you need to do is make a knee-jerk reaction and then want to blow up something. Um, you know, what Edmonton needs is... Got I the. I disagree with you on the their depth, by the way. I don't think it was anywhere near good enough
4: in the playoffs. You mentioned Kane. That's one thing. I know Zach Hyman looked like he was playing on one leg. Like there were even, you know. I'm talking bottom six depth, Frank. Like I don't – like I agree. Kane, Nugent, Hoffman. But to say – you said off the hop that
3: Edmonton's depth scored near to the level that it did in the regular season. Yeah, but I only include – I didn't include their top five guys because to me that's your top six. That's not really depth scoring. Your top six has to produce. And those guys – now, McDavid and Drysaddle did – but the other three didn't produce goals anyway to the level they did the bottom six in the regular season scored. And really it's not even the bottom six. It's your six to 12 forward in Edmonton. They scored 80 goals in 82 games. They had 10 and 12. Oh, yeah, right? but thats one that, I don't goal. think that's what gets you through.
4: Like, it, it can. Like, the Kraken are proof. Yeah, but goals but, like, against part is of, Part him. of the Oilers' success this year was 100 points from Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, 90-plus yes. from Zach Hyman, and Evander Kane, when he was healthy, was a significant contributor.
3: Oh, no, I agree with you. I just don't put those guys in depth. I put them as top guys who I expect uh, to Well, when I think of Oilers, everyone,
4: you hear the word depth, and you think of – Anyone not named 97 or 29. Yeah. And that's sure. really that's what it comes down to. And look, um, I'm I'm not being critical at all of his of his playoff. I'm actually really curious. Like, if you were to assign a letter grade for
3: Connor McDavid's postseason, what would it be? Uh Oh, I'd I'd give him an A, man. There's game there were some games where he only got one point, but he absolutely crushed it. So um is it an A, though?
4: Like, I'm just, like, knowing this, like, and I'm not talking anyone else's standard, 20 points in 12 games, you say, that's an unbelievable playoff run. I'm not saying it's his fault, not blaming him, nothing. Again, not. I'm just saying, knowing the bar that Connor McDavid has set for himself and the standard that he's played at, did he meet the bar for himself
3: in these playoffs? Oh, for himself, I would say probably not.
4: And that's all that really you can – he's on his own scale. Like, he's not on the scale of everyone else in the NHL. He's he's put himself in a different category. So, that's the only one you can judge him
3: on, is it not? Yeah, that's fair. I, I look at Edmonton, though. Um, like, not saying to, either
4: one of those guys are the
3: problem, not by yeah.
4: any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying, if you were to look like if, – if I were to watch – go back and watch all 12 games that he played – I like the balance was that there were as, you know, as many games that he was not as big of a factor in as there were games that he dominated. Is that fair to say?
3: Um, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to go through every one, but yeah, yeah maybe I, I guess I'd look Whether at there. Whether the and, split is six and six or eight and four or whatever it is. Like yeah. it
4: he wasn't, he didn't have the game in the palm of his hand the way that he
3: normally does. Yeah, I don't think any superstar does every game in the playoffs. So Those like you need te- teams win playoffs, not individuals. And the orders team, to me, wasn't good enough. Um, I, I would look and but say, but he had that
4: last year.
3: Yeah, but they didn't win. I,
4: no, I know, and that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't really know how to judge it. I'm, I'm just asking the question because I think it's fair to ask the question. Judged yeah. by his own standard, where would it, where would it stack up?
3: Yeah, like last year was ridiculous, man. Like, there's only it, it was a one playoff year where you know only Lemieux and Gretzky were guys who had ever averaged two points a game in a playoff series in a playoff series of over 15 games, right? And him and Drysaddle both did. So you did it once. Could to think two points a game was realistic? I don't think so. Um, now the player wants to do it, of course, but to me, I just look at Edmonton and they've got. You know, the, there were some decisions they made, and I, I said it after Game Five. I would have started Jack Campbell. Goal. Yeah, I was going to say the goaltending is a huge. I think
4: I, I think they're in pretty decent hands, but the fact that Jack Campbell didn't start a single playoff game and is in the first year of a five-year deal, Um I, I think that's pretty alarming. Well, like, here, it, it's it's one back. thing, you know, it's one tie that binds together both the Leafs and the Oilers and by the way like you know we can poke fun at the Leafs and laugh at how they stub their toe against the Florida Panthers but the Oilers bowing out in the same round and getting you know getting an additional win doesn't it's not much better.
3: You know, I didn't expect Toronto to win, though. I had picked Florida to win. Uh, I, I think Edmonton's a disappointing loss. There's no question about it. There's there's no way to sugarcoat it. They, they wanted to go deeper. And I think, you know, when, when you look at missed opportunities and, and, you know, you look at teams remaining and, you know, um, you know, it's wide open. I, I don't know if there's a clear favorite. Heck, I might pick Florida right now as, as the favorite of the teams remaining. We'll see what happens, especially if Seattle wins in game seven. Um, tonight. But yeah, Emmonton Here, will look, will look back say, on it and be disappointed. And yeah. I just, I think, Frank, about the goaltending, the thing about goaltending is let's be real. Like, we go th- there's goalies that people thought like there were almost indestructible. Uh, Allmark had a sub 900. Vasilevsky, hella buck. Um, I think the, the mistake Emmonton made was Stuart Skinner started all 12 games. The most games you start in a row was six in the regular season. Now he's a well, rookie.
4: Are you coming around to my world now? Well, Is when this what you, you have. Are telling me?
3: When you have goaltenders who aren't your clear cut guy, who's never done that at the NHL level and was struggling. If Stuart Skinner even had a 900 save percentage, Frank, you can make the argument to keep starting. And I'm not blaming Stuart Skinner. I don't blame a rookie goalie. I blame the coach for not. And now it's a tough decision. You he essentially thought. backed himself into a corner. Well, I think. You, Well, you kept pulling him. I I think when he pulled him in Game 5, you gave yourself the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to go with Jack Campbell in Game 6.
4: Well, that's what I was going to say because if you then pivoted – like essentially the message to Skinner every time has been you're our guy, right? By pulling him and then going back to him. So if you do that for a fourth time and then don't go back to him, the message he receives is you're no longer our guy. And then if Campbell bleeps the bed, which – We've seen him do multiple times during the regular season. Although his playoff actually was quite good uh, for the limited minutes that he did play. Um, and and by the way, as Mike McKenna kept pointing out, his his numbers against the Vegas Colton Knights have always been pretty good. Nine nineteen career save percentage. Um, it, you know, you open yourself up to then losing Stuart Skinner. And and the truth is. Um, Look, when you finish the last two games of a series with a save percentage in the sevens, like I don't care who's in net, whatever nameplate is on the back of the jersey, it doesn't matter. Your team's not going to have a chance.
3: No. I'm not one who really buys into the losing a player um, situation. You're going to be a pro. I think he cares about his teammates. And uh, had, had they started Campbell in game six, now if they lost, it was irrelevant, the series is over. But had they won and then Campbell started a few games... I think if they had to go back to Skinner in round three, he'd be more than yeah. ready because you gotta be a professional.
4: I, I think my issue is is this I think you and I are saying the same thing that you can't wait until the pressure packed elimination game to finally give a guy his first start of the playoffs. Look, the Bruins did that with Omar and Swayman. I made the argument after game two, two. when the Bruins lost that they should have then went to Swayman for game three in Florida. And obviously, we didn't know, or and still don't really know how injured Olmark is or was, and that doesn't seem to have the same factor at play for the Oilers. But waiting until Game Twelve to give Jack Campbell his first start of the playoffs, I think, is a recipe for disaster. And that's why I said they kind of backed themselves into the corner. Of, uh, kind, of kind of seems like we have to go with Skinner.
3: So you mentioned Edmonton, and maybe you know there'll be a management. Um role change as far as, you know, Ken Holland, uh, Steve Stales? I think that's pretty likely, by the way. What do you suspect in Toronto? Well, uh,
4: this, whatever we say now, is probably going to be pretty irrelevant in a few hours, given that uh, the Maple Leafs have already begun with their uh, press conferences today as they conduct exit interviews. Uh, Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas both expected to address the media. My guess is they say... Everything's on the table. You know, we're gonna do a review and 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 essentially get back to you. I think forty eight hours later is um, maybe a bit much to to ask of making a definitive or declarative statement. However, like time is of the essence for the Leafs in terms of first determining their management structure because um, they like they have so many ducks to get in a row that allowing this thing to linger with Kyle Dubas any longer. I think, you know, you're really putting your, your future success at stake one way or the other. Um, and, and look, this has been a sort of year long evaluation. Um, I think there's a lot of pluses and, and a lot of minuses frankly to Kyle Dubas's tenure. And, you know, I just sort of over the weekend drew a line down the middle of the page and, and went through both sides of it. Um, Look, I get that he's going to be sought after and in demand, and I think the general consensus is uh, among people in the hockey community that a Kyle Dubas will be out of long for out of work for as long as he decides, and b, um, you know, if he wants to come back to Toronto, that there is a path probably for him to do so. I guess I would just ask, like, what's the critical thought process? As to why that is the case on both fronts? Like where's the success to point to? Like regular season success is one thing, but when you're the closest you've gotten to a Stanley Cup is still eleven wins away. Um, I, I just like I have a hard time just getting the flippant answer of, well, because he's good at his job, like what like what when you work yourself through the process, what what determination do you come to that you know, allows you to say that confidently.
3: Uh, It's a fair question. Uh,
4: I do wonder if... Do you want to go through the pluses and minuses? Oh, sure. Uh, Okay. I mean, I I think the list of of pluses is a really consistent regular season team um, navigating a flat cap environment that I think the Leafs were... um, really damaged by given the way that they had built their team. I think no team in the league paid a higher price for the way that they had structured their contracts to all of a sudden run into a a frozen salary cap. Um, I think they've been innovative in the sense of uh, their process and how they've hired uh, the different people and wrinkles that they've added to their staff. Uh, They've been at the, the leading edge of that and the technology space. And then I would say the other part is like the, Uh, The other plus is the bargain buys that they've been able to find, whether it was Michael Bunting or whether it was Ilya Mikheyev or, you know, trading for Mark Giordano and then signing him to that two year deal at at under nine hundred thousand bucks. That's the list of the pros. But I think the list of the cons, which probably won't be talked about um, very much, is like, let's start with the John Tavares deal. Yes. That's his first major move, July 1, 2018. He was promoted on May 11th to the position. John Tavares is one. I would say um, next would be the sort of roster construction of how this team is built. Like, I thought Kevin Bieksa made a great point over the weekend on Hockey Night in Canada about what is this team. Like, they had always been built on high skill and speed, And now there seemed to be a pivot halfway through the year. And whether that was based on the fact that they were going to have to get through the Tampa Bay lightning or not, then there was this like sudden right turn of, we need toughness and we need Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Shen, and we need these other guys. So what, what one was it? And did you get the mix wrong the first time and not having enough of that? Or did you now the second time around go too heavy off of that end? Um, I thought, go looking back on his tenure, there were some gut visceral reactions that uh, clearly were errors. The Nazem Kadri trade is a significant one based off of the suspension that he had. Um, I think that really damaged this team uh, in terms of their depth. Um, I would say he, of the drafting that the team has done, he's arguably traded away his two best prospects. You could say, yes, they still have Matthew Nyes, but... Sean Dersey and that trade, um, he's already the best player in that deal. Uh, they also traded Rasmus Sandin. Like, you can go through it point by point, and, and then getting taken to the woodshed on the second contracts for Marner and Matthews, and then you can add in even essentially buckling at the end on William Nylander. This team's in a really tough leverage position now with all their players, and... Yep. Matthews now is the linchpin to this summer and he has like literally all the leverage in the world.
3: Yeah, I, the see, I I found I agree wholeheartedly that John Tavares I never understood it because I don't think that's what was needed for their team. I just I, I didn't I, I didn't understand at the time I said it and, and I think it's it's played to fruition that it's just not it's not what they needed a, at all. Um, they had enough offensive guys. The one thing I feel like He's never he's never addressed now. Jake Muzzin injury you can say okay. Uh, although you know what, his you know there were some signs maybe that wasn't going to be great uh, to begin with. But I just I look at at the, the construction of their team was always around their top four forwards and didn't allow them to to build a balanced team. And I think that's why that they, they've lost at times. Now you can't just sit there and blame the GM because some of their big guys we talked about. Hey, McDavid wasn't at his standard. They got way too many guys at the top end in Toronto that that haven't produced in crunch time.
4: Yeah, they were absolute passengers. And I would say to add to that, um, in building this team, like those players weren't his draft picks. Like Austin Matthews and Mitch Barner and those guys, like he didn't pick them. Um, He inherited them. So I think adding to the roster construction part, like these guys don't grow on trees, but the Leafs still don't have a number one defenseman. Morgan Riley is a good player, but he's not a number one, in my my opinion. And then we didn't talk about, in speaking of roster construction, the goaltending department. Like, that's one position they've still never gotten right. So I, I just think before everyone anoints and just says, you know, Kyle Dubas essentially is the chosen one and he could go to Pittsburgh, he could go here, he could go there, he could stay in Toronto as long as he wants why is there not more question or critical thought posed to the idea of it? And like I said, draw a line down the page and go through it one way or the other, like pick through, um, you know, essentially the situation and, and come out wherever you come out.
3: Regardless of who the GM is, do you think the coach comes back?
4: Well, I don't think it, I don't think you can even ask the question. Cause I think to say, regardless of who the GM is, like, it's, it's abundantly obvious that, Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keith have a strong bond and strong tie.
3: So, you think if 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 uh, Dubas comes back, he's automatically bringing Keith with him? I don't know if he's automatically,
4: but I, I think the idea that the Leafs are going to force feed Sheldon Keith's firing down Kyle Dubas's throat, like I don't know that that's accurate either.
3: So, is it a package deal then? Is it all or I, nothing? I,
4: I don't I, I can't answer that like I don't know the the true answer but I I think they're pretty strongly tied to be honest and I think if if the Leafs want to push towards getting rid of Sheldon Keith that they just might also push out their GM like mm-hmm. I think it's a possibility I think you have to consider it
3: oh yeah no that's fair um which which leads you mentioned Pittsburgh and there's been all the rumors around uh, around Pittsburgh and and Dubis and uh, you know what that would mean to I don't, I see a lot of people suggesting, well, if Dubas came in and they'd get rid of the coach. I just, I don't see that as possible. Do you?
4: Not even a slight chance. No. Like, I don't know how that was even like harebrained, whispered, talked about, whatever it was. And I saw Larry Brooks was the first person to speculate on it openly. It is like one of the craziest things I've heard this year. Like, is it possible that Kyle Dubas goes to Pittsburgh? Yes. Of course it's possible. Um, the ties to Fenway, excuse me, Fenway Sports Group are there. You know, one of his closest friends in, in pro sports is Heim Bloom, who is the president of baseball operations of the Boston Red Sox. Like, it's certainly possible. However, to think that Mike Sullivan is going at the same time is like literally batshit crazy. Mike Sullivan is going nowhere. First off, he is extremely wired in with Fenway Sports Group, also a Boston guy. He has mega term and mega dollars on his deal and I think is universally respected as one of the best coaches in the game. So you're going to fire him. So what? Kyle Dubas can bring on his buddy? Like I think if that's a requisite or a prerequisite, I guess I should say, it's not happening. No, he's not. Mike Sullivan's not going
3: anywhere. No, I did. I've never understood that rumor at all. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I get why the Rangers would want Sullivan. I'll make that abundantly clear. Why wouldn't you? I think he's a great coach, but yeah. um, I'd be surprised by that. Um, anything so new on the i
4: coaching openings. I mean, yeah, all, that's a lot. And again, we don't know what's happening in Toronto and or Ottawa. So we should have some clarity on the Ottawa sale or at least some sense of the direction it's going in this week as first time ever, you got to put your money on the table, May 15th, a non-refundable deposit if you choose to back out. So it, it's going to be really interesting. And, and look, I, I think the odds are that Kyle Dubas remains in Toronto. Um, I, I think that's where the smart money is. However, I would say if he is gone, the the place you need to look is Ottawa. That's That that would, I think, be the next step. That's the most logical choice.
3: That'd be juicy for the uh, rivalry, no question well, about he's, it.
4: he grew up an Ottawa Senators fan. I don't know. That hasn't very much been talked about, but that was his team as a kid. And I think when you compare the job and or jobs, as I mentioned and reported um, on Monday morning that the Flames – plan to pursue um, permission to speak to Leafs assistant GM, Brandon Pritham, who's been their salary cap guru, one of the guys who essentially wrote the CBA and the cap, um, and has been a big reason why they've been able to navigate the flat cap environment the way that they have. Um, you know, if he's in Calgary, for instance, like I'm just spitballing, like you can start to kind of see the pieces, you know, come apart a little bit. Um, so to speak. So that would either leave an opening to fill under Dubas in Toronto or what happens next. I just think
3: um, Ottawa would be the team I would have my eye on. Now, before we get to Tyler Remchuk, uh, you mentioned the Flames. Uh, Of course, now they've had, uh, you know, they've had some time, Uh, you know, we're getting here near uh, closer, I guess we're mid-May. I think most teams – Ideally, when you've been out as long as Calgary, it's basically been a month. At some point, you want to start making your decision, have your plan. You want your GM in place, at least it was me, at the latest by June 1st, heading into the draft and and, uh, free agency. Um, uh, What are you hearing on the search for a GM in Calgary? Yeah, I I think...
4: um... June 1st is the target date for both Pittsburgh and Calgary. There seems to be some speculation out there that the Pittsburgh search could wrap up as soon as the end of this week. I think that's a tad aggressive uh, based on what I've heard. I reported last week that they were wrapping up the first round of interviews. Uh, I don't think they'd even gotten to the in-person in-person portion of it yet. Um, but what I'm hearing in terms of Calgary, um, I, I just mentioned Brandon Pridham's name in the mix. Um I've, I've talked about Stan Bowman and uh, his inclusion in that search. Um, I think their internal candidates, um, including both Craig Conroy and Brad Paschal, are going to uh, get an opportunity to interview. And then what other names are the Calgary Flames attempting to drum up? Um, that part, I think, has been a little bit more quiet that we're looking for a little more info on. And then just to put a bow on the other part, I I reported last week just some of the names that I believe are involved in the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins search. Um, There was a few, Jason Botterill, Mark Bergevin, uh, Ryan Martin, who's the assistant GM of the New York Rangers, John Chica, formerly of the Arizona Coyotes, and Matthew Darsh of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think they've also talked to a few others, including uh, Cam Lawrence, who's been the special consultant uh or or analytics consultant to the columbus blue jackets uh who lives in pittsburgh and i'm real curious haven't gotten any sort of confirmation one way or the other but one name that has stood out to me that would be a a really interesting fit is sam ventura uh now of the buffalo sabers um their assistant gm spent his time uh working in pittsburgh uh if I'm not mistaken, I think actually still lives in Pittsburgh and, and, and worked for the Pens, obviously. So uh, he's been part of that Sabres brain trust that's helped put Buffalo back on the
3: map. I'm always fascinated to see what happens because once you get the uh, GM, well, at least the most of the sane organizations, that's when they hire their coach. There's the odd rarity that hires the coach first, but uh, nonetheless. Uh, one last one for you before we get to, and I lied, the, uh, the, the flyer situation. I know you're having uh, Mr. Jones on, uh, frankly speaking. Um, what do you make of that, uh, that uh, decision by them? And, you know, it's like a tag team, Jones and Briere. How do you see that um, playing out? You're missing a guy in the tag team. It's a three-headed monster. It's
4: John Tortorella. Tortorella, yeah. I mean, I it's going to be fascinating to see how this works because this has essentially never been tried before. Um, you know, I can't for the life of me recall a press conference where a team is introducing a new president of hockey operations and a new general manager, and the coach is sitting a couple seats down from them at the same podium. It's a unique structure. It's very clear that they want John Tortorella to have an opinion and say in in all personnel moves, And in some ways, like I'm shocked that a team hasn't tried it already, because if you think about it, like the pieces that you're acquiring, if the coach isn't on board, which sometimes he isn't, then it's almost like putting a square peg in a round hole to begin with. So not saying, of course, in any stretch of the imagination that it can't work. I'm just saying it's new and no one's really done it before to this extent and been also so transparent about it. So I'm really excited for Keith Jones. I've, you know, worked in this business for 15 years now, and I've never heard one person say one bad thing about Keith Jones ever. He's a tremendous person. I think he, in terms of being a communicator and leader, is going to be an excellent person to bounce things off of and to get and give advice. Um, And I think he's going to be a valuable tool uh, and person for Danny Briere as he wades through his first stretch as general manager to really try and first tear this thing down and second, build it back up again, because they've been really transparent about the idea that this is going to take years.
3: Let's bring in uh Tyler Ramchuk. Ty, how you doing?
0: I am doing good gentlemen. I am ready to go here with a new edition of fill-in-the-blank, brought to you by our friends at Botano. The game starts now at botano.ca. How about this? Let's circle back to last night's game. This one created some quality Twitter content, but I want a one-word answer from you. The NHL starting last night's game at 10 p.m. Eastern was blank, Frank.
4: A contractual obligation. Okay. Just go back and look at the amount of money spent. Major League Baseball and what... ESPN pays for that rights package vastly dwarfs what they pay for hockey. Sunday night baseball, no matter how much of a blowout or a regular season mid-May matchup it is, is going to take precedent every single time. Now you could make the argument, well, why didn't they just put the game on ESPN too? Because that would have been an easy alternative. Well, well, they obviously didn't want to, they wanted the marquee players on the big network, which just inherently by the nature of walking into any bar in the United States or anywhere ESPN, the main channel is on way more frequently than ESPN too. So I kind of think as disappointing as it was, trust me, waiting until 10 PM when it's the only game on the slate and you've got an elimination game with the best players on the planet, is wholly disappointing for the sport. I think, to me, it just shows how far down in the pecking order hockey really is in the minds of broadcast executives working in the U.S.
3: Jay? Oh. That's why I said predictable. That's exactly why. Um, the NHL sold their soul to, to America, and they want to try to get them in, uh, in better views. But when when you're not respected by your rights holder, it's going to be difficult. Uh, you don't get any primetime games uh, very often, and that's not ideal.
4: It, okay, so just to stop you for a second, is it a respect thing, or is it just a pure financial obligation? If you're paying billions for baseball and 400 million for hockey, like do you, do you really, is it really even a question?
3: I'm not. I'm not talking about ESPN. I'm talking about the NHL. When you got in bed with a partner, that you knew that it's not. Yeah, but you said the
0: you said broadcast partners that don't respect you. Yeah, they could have done a game swap. I know that was a rumor out there. That hey, why wouldn't ESPN just say okay, TNT can take this one. We'll take a different game.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you're ESPN, I I wouldn't be giving up that that game and those players. Sure. With all due respect to TNT, like this isn't about being friends. It's about having the game, regardless of when you play it.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, but if you talk about respect, Frank, look at how much money the Canadian broadcaster pays compared to ESPN. Yeah, it's still the Can- a lot so less. the Canadian broadcaster had zero rights of a Canadian team. So it's to me, still,
4: it's still less.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move along. Speaking of Canadian teams, I guess this one, your count is going to start at one because we know Calgary. But blank Canadian teams will have a new GM by this summer, Jason.
3: Hmm. Um, Two, three. Well, I'm going to say f- by title four.
0: Interesting. Frank. So you're saying the Leafs will as well? Yes. Okay. Leaf sends flames, Oilers. Frank? I'm going to say three. So one of those four decides to sends, send
4: flames and, and Oilers.
0: Interesting. Uh well no change at GM in Toronto there Frank but I got another Leafs one your way a blank percent chance that Ryan O'Reilly is back with the Toronto Maple Leafs next season eight specific
4: I, I'm just <laughs> picking a number out of the clear blue sky I yeah. mean it's it's low. it's not zero but it I don't think he can fit in their cap scenario unless he's taking a huge discount. And at his age, I don't see why he would. If he was 38 or 37, I'd say, like, yeah, sure. But he's still got a somewhat big contract. And, by the way, there's been lots of speculation and rumblings behind the scenes that a lot of people think he's going back to St. Louis.
0: Wow. That'd be something. Yeah,
3: I, I was going to say, like, 10. I There's a chance um, – I, I think it's probably low. Again, it's going to come down to who's the manager, too.
0: Yeah, that could affect it as well. Uh, speaking of unrestricted free agents, let's start to take a glance at what's coming this summer. Now, I'm looking at the UFA forwards that are on the market, and I'm not including Bergeron and Krejci in this because they seem like Boston or bust, obviously, but the five highest scoring forwards that are unrestricted free agents. Alex Killorn, Patrick Kane, Max Domi, JT Comfer, and Vladimir Tarasenko. Michael Bunting is six on the list. But your question is the UFA situation you're most intrigued by looking ahead to July is blank, Frank. Can you read the five again? Absolutely. I just want to make sure I'm not missing someone. Killorn, Kane, Domi, Comfer, Tarasenko, and Bunting is six.
4: I'm not really intrigued by any of those situations. Not even is that wrong? Kane? No, I I just think it's so abundantly clear that he needs hip surgery that it's going to be whoever is willing to basically
0: ride with the risk.
3: Are you surprised he hasn't had the surgery already?
0: I am. Interesting. So your answer is no one then, Frank.
4: This is the least interesting yeah. free agent class I've ever seen, and Alex it's not Gillard even really Williams
0: close. Jay, is there one of those names that intrigues you?
4: I mean, Comfer is interesting, but I also think the Avs now have all this yeah. like cap space with Landeskog not coming back. They don't really need to trade Girard. They probably need to keep Comfer. Like, I mean, Bunting is, is fascinating just because the question is how big of a raise is he going to get, but like, we're not talking any of the intrigue we've had in years
3: past. Yeah, my my thoughts on bunting is, um, is he a complimentary top six guy or uh, does he have legit hands to score if he's not playing with Matthews and Marner on a regular basis? That I don't know yet, so we'll see. But I'm still intrigued by Patrick Kane because a um, the health factor and if Patrick Kane comes back and and can be a, a real threat, well, that's a huge boost for a team. And and I'm curious to see what type of contract he gets at free agency. So if, to me, Patrick Kane is in, indeed the most intriguing one. And because of A, his health. And then if he does come back from his health and that guy recovers and, you know, it might not happen in the first half of the season, guys. right? Like, But if all of a sudden Patrick Kane is starting to find his game after, you know, a, a lengthy recovery and you get into to February, March and April... Patrick Kane's historically been unreal in the postseason, So that, that could be a big ad for any team. And, and I wonder, you know, where does he want to go? He already said, he's not going back to Chicago for anybody wondering if he was going to be a mentor. He said, they're in a rebuild and I don't have any interest in that. So you know, I, I think he would be a fascinating ad for some teams for
4: me. I think- um, well, I'm I'm actually really curious about the defensemen, Severson and Orlov. What do they get?
0: Yeah. Uh, that, you're bang on with that because already are- coming off
4: get. of the second Achilles. We've talked about him. Like there's a couple like it's they're just further down the list. Yeah. What, what about Matt Dumba?
3: What's he gonna do? Where's he gonna go? What's he gonna I, get? Yeah, I think he's in tough. Yeah, him and Klingberg. I'm curious about those guys. Like the both of those guys could be bargain deals based on, you know,
0: their potential play. For I don't think there's ever for. been a
4: better summer to be in the bargain bin hunting.
0: Yes. I was gonna say my answer was gonna be Vlad Tarasenko just because it's a guy who two years ago scored thirty four. This last year only scored eighteen. We know the injury history and all of that as well. Like who's gonna take a shot at that guy? How much do you get him for? And like what if like Frank, could you get him for four or five million bucks? Or do you think he's way above that? Like I just no, look at guy. I, 20, I think he's
4: it depends on term, like I guess, yeah.
3: What about Gabrika? Getting... The other guy to me that's intriguing is Gavrikov was very good in the playoffs for L.A.
4: I heard Gavrikov and the Kings had made some progress on an extension.
3: Yeah, I'm curious Obviously about his number. not there yet. Because he might be a guy where it comes supply and demand, and teams, everybody knows they like defense. He might be a guy like Andre Secker in 2015 who ends up getting a big ticket. Is this, well, what's a big ticket? Like, I don't think he's north of, like, do you think he's north of what Eric
4: Goodbranson got last year, four times four? Well,
0: what? that was a. I'd be Gavrikov more than that. I think teams would. Yeah. Like, well, He's five? a better player for sure.
3: Okay. You don't think he's better than Gabranson? No, I, I, I think Gabranson
4: was wildly well, over. Gabranson was a
3: one-off for sure. That was, But I, you know, but I think
4: that's like, I I don't know that I would pay more than that. No, I don't.
3: All it takes is one. And that's it what I'm that? saying. Sekra got 5.5. It wouldn't shock me if Gavrikov got four and a half.
4: Like different style players, but how much better is Gavrikov than Kulak? I, I think he's a
0: better defender.
4: Better defender, but like skate as well. less what? Like yeah. yeah, it's not as mobile. Not, not as sure. mobile and definitely isn't gonna give you as much, you know,
3: like Brett Kulak. Cool. He had an unreal season. I think Brett Kulak's a really good he was. That's what I'm
4: saying. Great. So he's right. at what, two eight? Yeah. Times three? Like I, I don't tell me a world in which like you think that Gavrikov
0: is worth that much more than him because I think the market's different now. Well, like I'll tell you the world, four frank. Mil frank.
3: You already mentioned the world. It's Gabranson's world. All it takes is one. That's the part of free well, agency. Wow. It only takes one. We'll see.
0: All right, there you go. That is a wrap. Uh, plenty of off-season talk coming here in uh, the next couple of months. That'll do it for fill in the blank. Brought to you by Botano.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Now, another thing not involving a playoff team, Franca, it's a big week. We will find out what's happening uh, with the Coyotes as the arena vote comes down this week. And man, it's, it's been like a political campaign for both sides. <laughs> I've, I've been uh, following along uh, Craig Morgan and others. And, um, uh, you know, you got two real sides. Oh no, they're lying. No, oh, they're lying. Like it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating here to see what's going to come down. This is like,
4: without a doubt, Tuesday is the biggest day in Arizona coyotes franchise history. Like, I know yeah. that that doesn't really say a lot because there haven't really been many big moments. um, but this is it like the future of, I believe the future of that team playing in the Valley of the sun is, is wholly dependent on Tuesday. Um, Just in, in doing my due diligence, the league is, is not willing to focus on the conversation of what happens if, but I, I think they've been like a duck underwater paddling to try and figure out where this heads. If in fact, the referendum doesn't pass. And, you know, it depends on who you believe. Is the polling accurate? You know, what will we see in terms of the mail-in vote? Because the ballots went out a while ago. All the speculation that I've seen to this point points to the Coyotes losing this referendum. And if that's the case, I I think there's a real strong chance that the Coyotes that the NHL forces them to pull up stakes and move because and is I, Houston the obvious answer. What about KC? Houston is to me beyond the obvious answer. Um, I just think based on pure market size, they have an NHL ready arena in Houston. Um, they have willing ownership. If the Coyotes ownership doesn't want to continue. Um, I just think it's, it's new. It's a shot on the arm. It's different. And as I just think there's a lot of frustration and anger among other governors and among players that are like, we don't have any appetite to see this continue as it is. Uh, oh, playing, yeah. playing an unterminable number of years in Mullet Arena without a real solution. Gary Bettman has said from the beginning, focus on the permanent solution, not the temporary one. And if this falls apart now, to even get rolling on the next contingency, like you're talking five years at a very minimum to to get a new arena in place. And I just, I don't think that's palatable. I really don't.
3: No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think if, if they lose the vote on, if they lose that vote I think, I think they're the NHL is going to have to flex their muscles and say, okay, we're out. And, and here's the thing, Frank, you talked about it with the the sale of the Ottawa senators. If there was ever a time that the Arizona coyotes ownership wanted to sell now would probably be the best time.
4: Yep. And the league, we know how supportive the league has been. So if they pull up stakes, like it, it's, it's because this was the last ditch dire straits. Like they, this is it. Um, you know, Ga- Gary Bettman has made untold number of trips to Arizona. I'd be shocked if he wasn't there in in place on Tuesday uh, as the vote is is going down. Um, I just I'm fascinated to see, like even the public push, what they're essentially broadcasting to voters. They're not pushing for a home for the Coyotes. They're pushing for a uh, a music venue. B, uh, entertainment around the facility, including restaurants and mixed space and and condos. They're pushing for more jobs. And, like, eighth on the list is, like, a a home for the NHL's Arizona Coyotes. Like, they know that their team isn't popular enough in their own market to be – that to be the sell to keep it. Um, So there's just – there's so much going on and a lot of rhetoric to cut through that – I think the truth is they're just not popular enough to, to float their own vote. Yeah, and, and you know what? They've been, in the meantime, Jay, their their management has, like, literally been out door-to-door canvassing houses. I'm not exaggerating when no, I say no. that. Like, oh, they've, yeah, like, literally funny. left the office in afternoons, and they go around canvassing.
3: Yeah. Well, hey, I think they want to stay there. There's no question. So, um, well, they at least I guess they can say they gave it their all if, if they don't get the vote. Um, before we go, there is a Game 7 tonight, Seattle and Dallas. And uh, could you imagine if the Kraken win, you have Seattle and Vegas, two and six years in the league in the, uh, in the conference final. Um, the, uh, the expansion uh, rules definitely uh, benefited them. They made some uh, right decisions, but Seattle's got to win. What's your uh, gut feel uh, in a series where Jake Ottinger has been uh, chased from games multiple times? Uh, Seattle's depth continues to show up. Uh, it's a different guy every time. I think they got 18 different guys now that have scored a goal in this uh, playoff run. Who are you liking in game seven?
4: Every fiber of my being, everything about the way the Dallas stars are built and how they play would, would lead me toward picking the stars. However, um And I did pick the stars in the series. I thought that they'd win in six, and they they had an opportunity to do so. There's just something about this Kraken team, and I think to continue to discount them, I think, does them a a great disservice. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to say that we do get the matchup, and it is Vegas and Seattle, and it does bring a whole uh, different meaning to the expansion franchises, you know, Vegas now hitting the conference final for the fourth time in six years. Uh, These two are slated to meet in the winter classic uh, next year in Seattle. Um, It is, yeah, I'm going to say the Seattle Kraken are playing to advance to the Stanley Cup, which I've been such a big believer in the stars and saying all along that that team was built for playoff success. And, that I thought whoever got through this round would have a hard time on the Pacific Division side with Dallas. But they've had some opportunities to put the Kraken away and haven't been able to do it.
3: I'm going Dallas because of one, one name, Pavelski. I think uh, Joe Pavelski, the ageless wonder, scores another huge goal tonight for Dallas, and uh, they find a way to get a win. Interesting. Yeah. And Miro, Heisch- Miro Heischkinen is going to play about 29 minutes tonight, Frank. At least. Why not? Uh, Yeah. So um, we'll see. And then uh, that series probably starts on Thursday, which I'm guessing means we will have Florida and Carolina. I don't know if it came out yet, but uh, I'm guessing they're starting on Wednesdays.
4: It has not come out yet. And everything I've heard to this point, in case anyone's curious, obviously subject to change Monday is the NHL regroups at their offices, but everything I heard seemed to point toward Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. or Sorry. Thursday and Friday, excuse me. Thursday. So Vegas first. Uh don't know yet, potentially. Thursday and Friday is what I heard. I don't know which one is which, but... Oh, okay. And, yeah. um by the way, we were talking Leafs, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs announcing this morning that um, Brendan Shanahan will not speak on Monday. So it's going to be Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keefe, and players. Read into that what you will, which is, doesn't seem like they're going to be saying much of anything about the future of Kyle Dubas.
3: No, no, and... uh It'll be interesting. Uh, Edmonton uh, will speak on uh, Tuesday uh, and Wednesday. Their players and and coaches spread out over a few days. And, uh, you know, disappointing off-seasons. I I think different directions potentially. There's not as many questions in Edmonton right now. Um, You mentioned uh, off the top, you know, Holland moves up. uh, Steyos comes in as GM. And then uh, he'll just look to kind of move some chess pieces around the board. Whereas Toronto, depending on what happens, could have significant movement for their organization. So. We, uh, it'll be fascinating to see what uh, what they do. We mentioned Ottawa. And oh, Calgary. I wanted to mention
4: one thing with Ottawa. There's been lots of speculation um, in recent days about the Nico Sparks-led bid, which includes Snoop Dogg and others. Today's the money day, baby. I said it before. It's put up or shut up time. And I think the big question is, as Nico Sparks has been rumored to partner or reported to partner with uh, the First Nations group that controls the land uh, in downtown Ottawa, La Breton Flats, where they are considering building, they have a claim to the land, uh, where they're considering building a new arena. Of all the people that have been involved in this Nico Sparks process. No one that I've talked to has any degree of certainty where the actual money is coming from. Who is backing this bid? There's some talk that they have a Canadian billionaire. There's some talk that they have an American billionaire. All I can think of is the 30 for 30 John Spano, uh, you know, bid for the New York
3: Islanders. So were, were you not surprised, Frank, that the Remington backed out before they even submitted a bid? Uh, No, I'm not. Because they said we need some degree of certainty
4: that if we're going to be paying this much money, that we can actually build the arena there. Because in and of itself, the Ottawa Senators franchise value, I don't know how that you could possibly make the case that without a new arena, shovels in ground is worth anywhere close to a billion dollars. They've lost and hemorrhaged money.
3: Yes, I totally agree with you. Like when I saw that number, I'm like, what am I missing here? Nothing. You're missing, no, you're missing
4: a, a lot of huff and puff and uh, somewhere between 800 and a billion. Like that's a huge gap between the two. And like I said, um, put up or shut up. It's you got to put a deposit down. And some people say upwards of 5% to put down for the sale like this week. So if you're Nico Sparks and your crew, do you have the actual financial backing? Is someone, if you really are bidding a billion dollars, is someone writing a check for 50 million today that may be non-refundable? Whew, spicy. Let's see. Like I said, this is this is uh it's cup check time, not gut mm-hmm. check time. Lots to talk
3: about, Frank. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor.
2: Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.
5: That's stamps.com. Code program. All right, hockey fans,
0: listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you gotta pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right?